This is Chaz Woodson, and you're listening to the Going Offsides Podcast. Hi, Ryan. We're here, episode 36. And before we get to our fantastic guest from the PLL, from the MLL, from Faceoff Academy, Greg Gorenlian, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about what's been going on. I mean, there, there's rumors swirling about the NLL. I don't want to speculate too much, but, you know, it's looking harder and harder for them to pull off a season. Yeah, I mean, listen, with everything going on around uh, the country right now and, you know, just the continent, you know, I mean, in the world, right? You know, you're talking about the NLL, which is one of those institutions that's really dependent on gate receipts. Um you know, uh, with everything going on and, you know, it's the borders, like right? The borders, yeah, the borders, everything's trending in the right direction, but it might not be enough time to actually get the season in before we kind of get past this whole COVID thing. So, um, you know, I'm hoping for the best. I think we all are. We all want to see the NLL obviously continue their success and, and see a season because it is a, a, such a wonderful product to watch. But, you know, we're keeping our fingers crossed and we're hoping for the best. But, you know, like a lot of other leagues uh, that are very gate dependent, um, you know, it's 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 looking tough right now. Yeah. It's looking real tough. Like I said, we're, we're going to be optimistic and we're going to hope for the best. And, you know, just putting it on people's radar that, you know, there's definitely no guarantee nope. that this is going to happen. But, you know, we are very big fans and we really want it to happen. Uh, piggybacking on that, we do have lacrosse. Our, our buddy Whitley over at Bellarmine. You know, we're not we're not saying we're not Mercer fans, but we definitely are Bellarmine fans. Well, listen, I'm uh, I'm I'm excited for lacrosse to be back this weekend. You know, I'm really excited to just you know put some of the the you know the bad things in the past. Right, you know, we're 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 done. We're past this whole thing. It's going to be good to see teams take the field. And I'm you know I'm listen. I'm not biased. I you know I love <laughs> I love Coach Whitley. You know, Coach Whitley is the man. I'm so happy to see him doing well at Bellarmine. Um, you know, we go way back, you know, in terms of, you know, working camps together and, um, you know, he's just, I couldn't be happier for a nicer guy and him and coach Marks who, uh, you know, are, are getting things going down at Bellarmine. Um, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, throw shade or anything like that, but I'm, I'm hoping to see a big Bellarmine win, you know, Mercer still owes, uh, LMU, a, a game fee check because we bailed him out a few years ago, back in the fall. Um, I still think LMU is still waiting for that check but hey listen i'll take a bellerman win over that taking things a little bit personal but a little I, bit, I, you know i don't know if that game is streamed or not but that's at 11 a.m on saturday so that'll be officially the first game of the 2021 season and they're at mercer beautiful facility mm-hmm. beautiful place that campus is really really sweet it's gonna be you know that environment that place that that stadium is a really great place to play a lacrosse game and um you know listen it's it's awesome it's the official kickoff of the uh division one NCAA lacrosse season Mm-hmm. And then for the matinee, we've got 3 p.m. We've got Denver and Utah, which will be very Ooh. exciting. Utah, obviously, continuing to grow from year to year. Denver is just a power, and you know they reload, and they've got a lot of talent that I've been waiting to see. You know, and all there's compiled. Some, there's some buzz around them. You know, they might be getting, uh, you know, depending on how things shake out in the Ivy League, they might be getting, you know, a pretty special faceoff guy coming in in mid March for that push. So who would have thought knows, Coach man? Tierney is excited about the quarter system? You know. 
Like, yeah, what a what a good time to have the quarter system. I'm sure it's annoying having the end of a quarter and the beginning of the fourth quarter right in the middle of your season, unless you can get TD Erlen right there at the end for. Yeah, last listen, I, nice. you know, I don't know how that whole thing works out. Something smells a little funky, but hey, listen, <laughs> guess what? It is what it is. You know, people make things work, and stranger things have happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, too, hey, listen, uh, you know, big shout out to Coach Reppert, uh getting the uh, you know Holy Cross moved quick. You know, obviously there was some you know speculation and uncertainty around that because you know they've had three coaches in three or four years. Um, you know, I think they knocked it out of the park with him. He's a fantastic coach. I think he's going to do wonders with Holy Cross. And it seems like every time there's been a vacancy uh, in the last few years, his name has been around it. He's been an, he's been a candidate for it. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, why would you leave Maryland uh, mm-hmm. unless it's something that you really want? So, um, you know, congratulations to him. On the flip side, oh, you know, chain reaction, we, man. Holy we got cow. some, you know, and, and there wasn't, you know, a lot of speculation was like a current assistant was going to move and it was going to cause some, you know, uh, it was going to cause some ripples in the whole thing, but it didn't. Couldn't um, be happier that Coach Benson's got a sideline spot this season. Man, listen, I, I think that Hopkins uh, Maryland rivalry just got a little bit, a little bit tougher. I think it's going to mm-hmm. be really exciting. And I think, too, uh, you're going to see, you know, Coach Benson's one of the best minds of the game. I think, uh, you know, watching his man ups are phenomenal. Um, you know, and I know that when he left Hopkins, um, you know, he was going to be coaching somewhere down in Georgia and he was going to be running the defense. Um, I'm sure he's going to be back on the offensive side of the ball. It's going to take him some time to kind of get used to things, but at the same time, he knows that personnel, he's going to have those guys humming and it's going to be awesome to see Maryland, uh, play this year. And I mean, it doesn't hurt that he has one of the best attackmen in the country on his team in, uh, in Bernhardt. So, Hey, listen, uh, they have an embarrassment of riches and hey let's uh let's see how it goes absolutely man and i think if i'm not mistaken i'm trying to look at the schedule real quick and i think is that tomorrow um sorry about that nope that's the following week okay so yeah this is the only lacrosse we got this week so you know we, we've got an excellent show we, we talked to greg Aurelian and not just about face-offs it was very important for me to talk to him about something other than face-offs and let people know this guy is way more than a face-off guy. And I think you're really going to get that out of this, especially if you're somewhat into strength and conditioning or you want to learn a little bit more about it. Holy cow. He also gets to talk about how he ended up in the PLL, and I don't think that story is really well-known. And so I think that's going to be a really good episode. And before we get to that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. While we get started, I, I have a couple uh, questions. I wanted to ease into this and have a little fun. but. Um, let's let's talk about a few things so you're obviously semi i mean you retired from your playing career i think that's safe to say so what what's an average day look like and i say this with quotations in retirement because clearly you're you're still very busy yeah so the only difference is i'm not playing in actual professional games right now but i'm doing all the other stuff that i was doing one of the reasons that i stopped playing was to have more time at home with my son and my wife but also uh, to throw myself more into the coaching and recruiting aspect of what I do with Faceoff Academy. So a, a typical day, uh, Jack's at seven o'clock, his alarm clock turns green, which means he's allowed to get up and come out and wake us up. So <laughs> at 7.01, my door flings open and I get him breakfast, get him ready for the day, check my emails. And then around nine o'clock, Jax comes down to the garage with me and we work out. And then 
Uh, once he has lunch, put him down for a nap, I spend anywhere from two o'clock to six o'clock just catching up on stuff, making phone calls, talking to coaches. I think I have such a wide range of things that I try to cover on a daily basis, you know, creating content on my YouTube channel, Instagram, helping out the guys that I'm currently coaching with their recruiting, helping out guys who are in college, but can't work with me right now because they're in school. So they send me video and I help break down their stuff. Uh, talking to college coaches, especially right now, trying to help them with their recruiting, but also helping people navigate the new rule change um, and how it's different since I'm only, you know, me and a couple of guys I work with are the only people that were faced off like this in the pros. So there's a lot of, a lot of plates spinning. And meanwhile, we're trying to set up our events for this year with our national showcase and all that stuff. So very busy day from, uh, from whistle to whistle. That's for sure. <laughs> that's good to hear though, because I, like you said, you've always been doing this but you've also balanced playing on top of all of everything else. So, so you, you, you're throwing yourself into face-off Academy and, and the coaching side of things a little bit more now that you're done playing, will we ever see you coaching on a sideline uh, more than just face-offs? No, uh, okay. I can tell you right now. I, <laughs> um, if, if like I help out, I started helping with the Marinette high school uh, last year as a, you know, volunteer assistant. And, uh, in 2019, that was, that was fun, but that's about as much as I can handle. Uh, <laughs> people have asked me before, would I ever want to go into the college ranks? Um, you know, if I ever coached in college, it would obviously be a situation where I have to, uh, work my way up. So I'd have to come in as a volunteer assistant. I wanted, I would have NCA regulations that would stop me from being able to be as accessible as I am to my current class. I like the autonomy of just working with everybody. Um, that, that brings me a lot of joy and diversity, uh, in my day, because I, I think I give college coaches so much credit because essentially their entire livelihood is based on 20 year olds doing what they're supposed to do all the time. <laughs> and I couldn't sleep at night if that was the case. Yeah. I will tell you, I, I was a college coach for three years and, and it's the most stressful. They knew I was getting married the day that they were moving in. <laughs> and they still decided to call me and try to prank me. And I was like, you know what? I'm tired of letting 18 year olds and their behavior dictate my success. So, um, but what you said is very similar to what Mark Millen said. And, and we asked him the same thing. Cause he's had opportunities, you know, his kids are obviously uh, high school aged um, and they're very good. And he said the same thing. He doesn't want to necessarily start from the bottom and work his way up. He loves his events. He loves being able to train so many people. And it, it's kind of the same thing. You guys aren't that far apart on the business side either. You know, he's running camps and clinics. So are you. And so I think that's very unique. Um, it, it, it doesn't seem like you have any regrets about it. <laughs> he, he said he wished he would have been able to start in the beginning and take that path. But it sounds like uh, either way, you know, you guys ended up in a very good spot. Yeah, I I, um, I've gained so much from being autonomous and I, you know, I, I joke with my friends all the time. I've done everything I can in my life to not have anybody have, you know, tell me what to do, uh, in, the, in my career. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to like strength training, I became a strength coach at Penn state and I had an awesome mentor. And then I went to New York city and I started as a strength coach and I built my own business there. And then after the FOA took off, I sold uh, it was called Brolic Strength. I sold yep. that and we continued with FOA. And I love the fact that every single day, Jerry and I get on a phone call and we just throw ideas around and see what sticks. 
Uh, and we have fun that way. And I think any call, any coaches that we bring on with FOA, uh, I always tell them, I don't want to be your boss. I want to be a coworker. I want to be an equal participant. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't go into a more structure. I know my limits. <laughs> I'm not built for the structure of a college uh, coaching staff. For sure. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, and it's funny you mentioned that brolic strength, because I remember, and I even have a note here, I watched a 2010 off-season conditioning video that you had, and it was one of my all-time favorites because people would be like, back then, 2010, pro lacrosse, still not very big, and people would be like, you know, what are you watching? I was like, if you want to see an athlete, like, check this thing out. This guy is this size but can do these triple jump ropes, and you were doing a lot of the power lifting. And I was like, that's still one of my all time favorite. Cause it's such an old school meathead video yeah. with like the soundtrack. and yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. I think I was definitely a little ahead of the curve on that. Um, because like you said, I remember when I was at Penn state, the guys used to talk about, Oh yeah. Like Syracuse, they don't, they don't do weightlifting. All they do is cardio. Mm-hmm. And I remember our coach, Glenn Thiel, he was an older guy and he's like, we don't get recruits that are as good as Syracuse's recruits. So we need you guys to be bigger and stronger. And we're like, thanks coach. Um, but that's, that's, we have a football training mentality at Penn mm-hmm. State. So when I, uh, you know, there was only a couple of us, a lot of guys were trying to sneak out of the weight room back in the day. And I, I give a lot of credit to, you know, Paul Rabel and Kyle Hartzell and guys who have been posting their training for years. It's now become commonplace. It's become mm-hmm. cool to be a lacrosse player and take it seriously, which I love. Absolutely. And before we get fully before we fully dive into the whole uh, weightlifting and, and all that stuff that I want to talk to you about. Um, so I, I was a face-off guy. I, it was a long time ago back when, you know, you could do moto grip and just survive off power clamping and, and stuff like that. But uh, you know, one of the things that was always said to us is that facing off is like rock, paper, scissors. And I just want to see is, you know, from one of the best I ever do it, is that still a fair assessment of what, facing off is like is it still rock paper scissors where there's always a counter move for every move or is there is there becoming a move or a set of moves that's it's kind of like if you master that it really is difficult to counter in any way yeah so there's like four phases that lacrosse face-offs have gone through mm-hmm. one was like the oh like the very beginning where just a midfielder would go out and just kind of rake at the ball mm-hmm. right then we got into the dark ages, as I call them, where everyone was just teaching cheating, right? So okay. yep. there was no rock, paper, scissors. It was grab the ball in your hand. We had idiots like posting videos to nine-year-olds about how to tape your gloves so people couldn't see it and all that nonsense. Then in 2012, I like to think that the FOA was a big part of cleaning that up. Um, and you saw athletes, Ben Williams, Jake Withers, Trevor Baptiste, now you have TD. Um, more athletic guys were now creating uh, a more dynamic athletic position. But the whole rock, paper, scissors thing wasn't a thing because it was literally punch your right hand into the ball, mm-hmm. rotate hard clockwise, dominate the column, you know, physically imposing on your opponent and then get the ball out. Mm-hmm. And when people would say, oh, it's a rock, paper, scissor, or you'd see on ESPN, they got to tie this guy up. It's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You can't. <laughs> tie a guy up when he's just rotating and knocking off the ball. Now, this is the next phase, standing only. This is the epitome of rock, paper, scissors. Face-offs are going to be the epitome of chess now. There are so many moves you can do. 
you have top sidewall, bottom sidewall, and first step counters. Because you can't hold the ball in the back of the stick um, and you can't rotate anymore, this is all going to be chess. So talking to college coaches now, for the last however many years, the fastest hands won usually. Now it's the most dynamic guy with the most moves. Hand speed doesn't mean anything anymore compared to how many different moves you can do. And you're right. Now, if you were to say that in 2021, yes, it is it is rock, paper, scissors, but I, I think that's dumbing it down too much. I think right. it's more like chess now. Okay. That's fair. I, I just, you know, I live in the Midwest, so everything was already a little dumbed down for us. And it was just like either, all right, if this guy jumps or he jumps over the ball, you just, you know, swipe, swipe underneath. If, if he's a power clamper, you just try to like do a quick move. And that's as far as we would get, let yeah. alone bringing in wing play and all this other stuff. And, and speaking of that, so with the face-off Academy, do you, I, I know you probably empower your, your actual face-off guys to learn wing play and, and how to direct people, but do you ever kind of teach coaches and everybody else how to teach wing play? Because I feel like that's such an underrated aspect because it doesn't matter if, if you get the ball clean and if, if you're being harassed by three people. So, yeah, there's two things that are never practiced in a weekly team practice that are expected to work like clockwork on game day. One is transition after a face-off win or loss, mm -hmm. right? How often have you ever seen someone practice that? Second is wing play. Like you mm -hmm. said, uh, pre and post whistle, uh, dynamically setting up. A lot of people think, oh, you put the wing, where, wherever you put the wing, that's where you expect the ball to go. No, not necessarily. Maybe you want the wing somewhere to clear space for the face-off guy. Um, and to answer your question, every single city that we do an FOA event at, we offer a free 30-minute officials and coaches clinic. We invite coaches from all over at every level to come to our events, take notes, ask questions. Uh, every year at LaxCon, we present our entire system and we put it on a platter. You see my YouTube channel. I have over 100 videos just on face-offs. Um, and we actually did a four-part master class this past summer where on a Zoom session, we had over 100 coaches come on. And we did four one-hour episodes. One was on knee down, one was on stand-up, one was on wing play, and one was on managing your face-off uh, depth chart. Mm -hmm. um, people are like, wow, you give away so much. But in my opinion, this isn't ours to, to take. You know, like, yeah, we thought of a way to, to present it and to coach it, but lacrosse is a gift. So, you know, it's not fair for us to, like, hold our ideas and secrets to the chest. We want our coaches out there who are working with the kids that we coach uh, at clinics to, to continue to benefit as well. Yeah. And I see that a lot, especially in developing areas. Like, like I said, in Michigan, there were times in the last couple of seasons where I could just walk up and just to help out a program and I could just double pull the wings and no one would know what to do. On the, and it's just like, it's not a very difficult concept, but if you're not familiar with it, like yeah. that's the thing, it's, it's more exposure and just, just developing the baseline. Like you said, this, you're not creating anything like this has been known, but it's not well known and it's not out there. Like, you know, now we can direct people to your YouTube channel, but like in general people, if you didn't know where to go to find this stuff, you're just kind of just tinkering. And like you said, who yeah. has time to tinker this much with face-offs at a practice? I remember working with John Paul at Michigan. That was, you mentioned who practices like the transitions pre and post face-off well because he was the face-off coach we would routinely practice winning the face-off and clearing immediately through the defense mm. and subbing off that way and I would just remember he would drill that in because 
transition and clearing was like that was what we we're going to be good at yeah and the 10-man ride obviously that's yeah. that's his baby <laughs> but so yeah to, to your point yes no one really does give that the time and it's hard right you have to figure out what something's got to give but when you think about it should it be what gets you the most possessions probably not so a little bit yeah. of uh attention should be paid there well, I think, I think it's easy when you're a coach, they always ask me like, how can I work face-offs into practice? Because one of your objectives as a coach, if you want a very solid team and uh, you want all of your face-off guys on the same, on the same team, because look, it's like a quarterback situation. You have, you know, every face-off guy who's on a college team or a club team or whatever is sitting there going, I hope we win this game, but I kind of hope this guy loses a face-off so I can get my chance. Yeah. Right. And if you can take the quarterback mentality, you watch a college football game, you have your definitive starter, you have the second string guy. Where's the second string guy? He's not at the end of the bench tying his own shoes. Mm -hmm. He's sitting there giving the signals into the game. Right. So he's in it. He feels like he has a very important job. Mm -hmm. um, so if this guy gets hurt or comes out, I can jump right in and be ready. Uh, the guy who's red shirting or the third or fourth string guys, they, one of them should be holding an iPad, watching every faceoff. When a face-off guy loses, he comes off the field, he has his crew, right? Mm -hmm. A squad of guys sitting there looking at it together, looking at the iPad. The, the freshman feels like he's getting better and he's helping these guys. And now you've got your own unit. And we spend a lot of time psychologically helping coaches figure that out to benefit their whole sideline. That's uh... – you're giving me all sorts of ideas if we have a season because <laughs> that's a really, really good way of looking at it. I mean, to say just because I, you know, having experience as a face-off guy, I had that mentality of they're important. Let's try to work on this. So, you know, there would be a face-off and even though I'm running the box and everything else, I'd grab the other face-off guy and be like, just stare at this and watch it with me. And just yeah. what happened? Because if he doesn't win this, you're going to go in, but at least you're going to be prepared with what is likely to happen. Yeah. And so, but you just took that and put that at like level 10. Um, so it's a really good idea. Um, speaking of face-off Academy and wrapping up that, that whole thing. So if coaches or let's say an athlete is in a remote area and, you know, you just don't come to their city or their state, because I remember, I, I believe in the past, you have done an event in Michigan here or there. A lot, so yeah. yeah, what what are the options then for those guys? So we tell high schools, club programs, etc. Um, if you want to host us, you just email us faceoffacademyinfo at gmail. Uh, you can go to web our website; it's right there. Invite us out. We'll you know we'll come out there. We'll do a thirty minute session for coaches and, and referees. We'll spend an hour doing a private lesson because we always bring on a, like a small group of kids that really want to do a private lesson with video playback. And then we'll do a 90 minute main event and then we'll stick around. We'll answer questions. We'll talk to the parents, coaches, and players. Um, so that, that's the easiest way to do it. Mm -hmm. And we are teaming up with a lot of different groups that run events. So you have the player series, you have adrenaline, um, you have the NLA events that do main stage and future phenoms, et cetera. Um, and then Maverick Showtime. So we're, we're teaming up with a lot of events companies so we can bring FOA to any city where there's a big event. Right. Um, and we have, we have, we've been hiring more coaches so that we can handle that. So that's kind of where we're at now. And like you had alluded to earlier, we're just hoping that there's, yeah, you know, life this year yeah. so we can go, go do it. Yeah, exactly. Like I was, I was thinking about, I was like, Hmm, I should host one in Michigan, but we can't have contact practice yet. So one at a time for sure. Yeah. One step at a time for sure. Okay. So 
you know, everyone kind of knows you as one of two things. And it's usually as a lacrosse player, right. As, as the face-off guy, but as you talked about earlier, you, you are, you know, for those of that don't know you, you were Kines major at Penn state, right. You, which I don't think is common knowledge is that you worked as a strength coach, had, had a training co company. Everyone sees you lifting weights on Twitter and, and YouTube and stuff but they don't really understand the background there. So what is kind of the, back, the, the quick background of your strength and conditioning experience? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not just a, a Instagram lifter. Um, <laughs> so I went to Penn State to be a phys ed coach or teacher. That was my goal. When I got to Penn State, I realized that their phys ed program was insanely hard, which I loved. Uh, however, when you're in a, a major that, that that's that competitive, you want to make sure there's a payoff at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, I remember going to my counselor and she was very clear. She's like, look, like the odds of you getting like a cushy phys ed job are not very good. You know, nine out of 10 people are basically going to a playground and kind of just throwing a basketball out there. Um, I wanted to do something where it was a very, you know, a very fulfilling uh, job. So when I met our strength coach, Brad Pantall at Penn State, I remember spending my first semester there going, man, this guy has the coolest job on earth. Like instantly making people better every day is so gratifying. Um, so I would literally spend a lot of time over at East area going to his office. Uh, I remember, you know, diving into my neuroanatomy uh, classes and my biomechanics and just loving everything. It was so intrinsic for me. So I switched over to kinesiology and movement science mm -hmm. and I got my degree uh, in kinesiology there. I was actually planning on getting my master's in human performance and working under Brad. When I graduated, Brad moved from lacrosse and field hockey and hockey to just men's and women's basketball. So I moved over there with him and basically worked for free for mm -hmm. a whole summer. And then the fall, we were working on getting me, uh, you know, as an intern so right. that I can be a graduate assistant. During that time, one of my one of my good friends, Derek, who was the case major as well, he had moved to New York City and he came up uh, for alumni weekend. He was like, "Look, man." Before you decide you want to live in center PA for the next four or five years, maybe you want to come to New York City in the private sector. He's like, dude, you're way overqualified if you're a Kines grad from Penn State. So I went out to New York, um, went on an interview at Reebok Sports Club, 68th in Columbus, and uh, got the job. And within two weeks, I was moved into a random little uh, extra spare room on Craigslist, living there, uh, eating out of a peanut butter jar for a couple months. Uh, trying to make ends meet and uh, you know slowly but surely I introduced actual collegiate strength training to the private fitness industry right. um, and uh, I jumped into Olympic lifts I learned Olympic lifts I got my USAW certification and that's really when things took off I was taking mostly females who are watching this understand usually you go into a gym and some trainer who only does bicep curls gets the woman puts like a little tiny med ball in her hand and has her jump around and do weird stuff. Uh, I was taking women and teaching them Olympic lifts and socks press and deadlifts. And every time I did it, another woman would see it and be like, I want to do that stuff. Um, and that's where I really gained uh, some popularity in the gym. And then I took people out. I started my own business, Brawlic Strength. Um, and I trained at a whole bunch of different gyms, including Velocity. Uh, anybody who's really into strength conditioning understands or you know, knows about Velocity performance. And um, yeah, and it just took off from there. So that's really where I was a lacrosse player on weekends, but then I was a professional strength coach. Mm -hmm. That was like my main focus up until about 2011. Okay. And so 
you know, I've, I've talked to, and it's always unique because usually, especially at smaller colleges, I was a kines major as well. When I was a head lacrosse coach at a small college, I was also teaching human, uh, human and he- uh, health and human performance courses, you know, basics of uh, resistance training and stuff like that. And it was really unique to go talk to the strength coach at the school and see that it was like all football up here. Like, it's just, how do we just add mass and make, you know, explosive is good, but it's all about mass, mass, mass. I'm like, so how does this apply to my lacrosse guys? And so we developed over time, we've, we found that there were lifts that help certain parts of a lacrosse player. And so before we get into that, I'm sure that there is a, a basic list of lifts that you are a proponent of that create a well-rounded athlete in general. And yeah. so, so what are a few of those lifts? Not, you know, not to get too specific, but for just a general athlete, lacrosse players included, that they could start with when, when they're trying to, you know, actually take this seriously. Yeah. So, you know, I learned a lot from Brad, uh, while I was there, I learned a lot at Penn state, but once I got into the private sector and I was buying my own textbooks and I was taking courses on my own, um, you know, I really started to kind of broaden my horizons and have a more holistic approach to being a strength coach. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of different factors that kind of cloud judgment on how to create your own training, right? We have the online fitness coach, right? You add fit to the end of your name on Instagram, you take your shirt off, and now you're a professional. Um, you have the, you know, everybody wants to know what supplements should I take? What supplements? Supplements. It's like, okay, you're eating a thousand calories a day, but you care about what whey protein to take. Um, so when I was at Penn State, Brad did a great job of programming me to believe in performance and the concept that of functional training, right? The buzzwords, functional training. And I think everybody thinks when you look at functional training, I, I don't know what exactly they think it is, but functional training is training for whatever your function is. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. So functional training for me as a face-off man may look different than functional training for a swimmer. However, like you said, there are core lifts. There are core lifts that you should understand. And I think the advantage as kinesiology major is you learn about the human body and how it progresses mm-hmm. before you ever learn about exercises. Right. Right. You go get a NASM. I'm not hating on NASM, but like you open up a NASM book and it's basically here are your exercises. Right. Yeah. And it's like this works. It's a guide to personal like, training, not to Yeah. Like I would fitness. rather learn that teach me about the human body and all of its motions and levers and all that stuff. And then you don't have to teach me lifts. I can just go know what these lifts, I can make it up myself if I wanted mm-hmm. to. Um, so if you're going to do a deadlift, a squat, um, or an overhead press that works for every single athlete, regardless of who you are, where you are, etc. The problem that we run into a lot is kids want to learn how to bench press, for instance, before they can do a proper pushup right? Or they don't know how to sit in a chair correctly, but they want to squat four plates. Um, So the problem we have, and as you know, as guys, we look in the mirror, once we're about 12 or 13, we start looking in the mirror from the waist up in the front. And this is what matters. But as an athlete, it's actually what's below the waist in the back that's most Mm -hmm. important. So teaching guys to do calisthenics is actually the most important thing because it primes your nervous system. If you can do a perfect squat, just like you could when you were a toddler, 
right? You look at a toddler, they squat down to get something, it's perfect. If you can teach somebody to have the mobility and flexibility to do things with correct movement patterns, once you introduce weight, their nervous system just blows up. Um, now, yeah, I was one of those meatheads. I was about 170 pounds when I got to Penn State. They put me on a uh, six, then eight, then 10,000 calorie a day diet. So I gained, almost, I, I left Penn State at about between 205 and 210, and I went in at 170. Uh, but that was me. My, co my coaches never said, we need to put weight on you. They didn't care. But when you look at any athlete, I've always tried to train as a lacrosse player. I think depending on where you are on the field, you want to train either as like a linebacker or a safety, mm -hmm. right? Multi-directional, quick bursts of speed, sprint endurance. It's something that always drives me nuts is when you see teams running for five miles. It's like, if you ran for five miles in a game, you screwed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you shouldn't be jogging anywhere, right? So, uh, you know, fast twitch recovery is really important and explosiveness. And that's why I love Olympic lifts. Because even after college, when I got introduced to Olympic lifts and I started getting good at them and I got my USAW, my nervous system blew up. And that's, you know, mid-20s. So mm -hmm. I kind of missed the boat in college, but power development out of Olympic lifts was something I absolutely fell in love with and I saw the benefits right away. And so that that gives you a baseline, right? Like those, yeah. like you said, functional fitness is more or less, what is it that you need to do to do whatever it is you do on the field? So yeah. like, you know, a goalie would train differently than an attackman or a face-off guy. So let's say we're talking just the shooting motion, right? And, and we want to improve the shooting motion. So with our research, with our strength coach, it was pretty obvious, a lot of pulls, a lot of pulling motions and a lot of, a lot of core work and, and, and uh, rotational force. So what are some lifts, for example, for like, you know, maybe we have a good baseline, you know, we've, we've been working out for a while, whether it be high school or college, and now we want to improve, you know, our shot speed or what, whatever it may be. What are some lifts, you know, first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, pull-ups and lat pull-downs would be great for if we're going to do like accessory lifts for, for that kind of motion. But what, what can you all kind of offer that would be a little bit more specific, assuming we already have a baseline uh, of, uh, you know, a kind of a good strength level and a good understanding of strength. Well, a shot is a ballistic motion, right? So if you are going to look at the limiting factors, I always tell everybody the first thing you have to do is you streamline your technique. You know, um, you know, Sergio Garcia walks up to, to hit a golf ball. You're not going to be like, that is an imposing fella. <laughs> right. But he's launch it because yeah. his technique is great. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not a golfer. I don't even know if Sergio still plays, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so you get your, your technique is the most thing. Now there are limits to our technique, which would usually be mobility. Right. So the first thing we have to look at is how can we increase your range of motion safely and defend against injury? And I feel like usually sometimes guys, usually sometimes we you know guys will go and they'll say, how can we make your shot faster? Okay. But if you're planning on progressing this person with whatever lifts you're going to do, are you aware of what their limits are first so that we can prehab whatever injuries are going to come up from doing this, right? So if you have a guy forcing his right-handed shot because you're trying to gain five miles per hour on it, are you looking at the anti-rotational force of going the other way to defend against, you know, look, you're going to have competitive adaptation, right? So you have functional adaptation, for instance, face-off guys, 
because I faced off like this for so many years. Like I have further rotation in my right arm right. than I have in that external rotation, right? But that's a functional adaptation. Um, so what can we do? Is that going to cause an imbalance that's going to hurt me, right? So that's like the first thing we have to, to look at. We watch his shooting motion. Is there anything that sticks out that is going to hurt this person down the line? Correct it. Then we move forward. If we can get more velocity, I mean, more flexibility and rotation, then it's like pulling a rubber band back further. So we're going to get right. more force, right? So that's the first thing. Then when you talk about lifting, we want to look at stuff that, that does we want. We know we pull through this, right? Mm -hmm. But we also step into the shot, right? right? So you're going to get hip flexion. Right. And because you're pushing off, you know, as, as any other athlete, the posterior chain is your plant. That's where you're forcing. That's where you're driving through. So hamstrings and glute strength is really important. And then you're taking into effect that most athletes, when they get to college, regardless of position, are usually anterior dominant. So you have tight and strong anterior muscles from you know your quads all the way up to your chest, but you have weak and you have loose posterior muscles. So that's why how many how many athletes do you know got to college and had a back injury? Yeah, you know, almost me. All of yeah. them at some point. Yeah, or a hamstring injury, right? And it's and that's so I take a very prehab approach to training. Once I know the foundation is rock solid, then we build on it. So. Mm. I, I actually, you know, the pull downs is great, you know, because obviously when you're pulling down, you're pulling through that lat, right. but you're also extending your rotating. So I actually make you, I tell guys, regardless of your position, make sure you're training on all four planes, right? Because even though you're doing your pull downs, your lats are an interior rotator as well. So you're exacerbating this if you already have a tight chest. Okay. So you also want to get your horizontal pulls as well to pull straight back. Um, so I would hit all four planes the same. But I would go very much into the prehab of making sure that there's no kinks in the armor first. Excellent advice. It's kind of like, um, and as you said it, I thought about it. And you mentioned Sergio Garcia, but golfers will, will kind of prehab injuries by, you know, obviously they're, they're just using one side consistently, right? Like if you're right-handed golfer, you're always swinging the same way. Lacrosse, we have the benefit of most of the time using a little bit of both. But golfers will actually train yeah. with their opposite side just to help balance out those those imbalance those muscular imbalances and it definitely does prevent or help prevent injuries by doing that so so like you said you have to kind of prehab in a way and then you know mobility i think is obviously what we see a huge issue with with all athletes because if they could increase their mobility or their, their flexibility that's a that's basically prehabbing the entire process and obviously, you yes. know, if you can open up those hips more as you step through and as you, as you follow through with your shot, you're extending, you're expanding the, yeah, expanding the range of motion. So it's, it, it all comes together, right? Like it's not one thing. It, it's yeah. everything builds upon itself. So, and it's funny you mentioned right. that because. And, and it goes in cycles, right? It goes in cycles. You, you know, I tell everybody when you're playing, a lacrosse season is very simple to, to adjust around as an athlete. You have your one annual macro cycle, right? Then you have your preseason, your in-season, your postseason, and your off-season. And depending on what time of the year, that's how you would rotate. I'm a big conjugate guy. So I like rotating the sets and reps based on the time of year um, to keep things stimulated. Um, but giving yourself enough time where adaptation can be created through progressive overload. 
So, you know, I, I like rotating based on the season. So it's perfect that you said that because one of my notes was, let's say, and we're preaching this, these multi-sport athletes. So like, let's say, for instance, I was a football, basketball, lacrosse guy. And I don't really have an off season until the summer. And that's really just preseason for football. So, you know, the, the normal cycle that we think of, which is off season, preseason, in, in season, we, we don't really get that because our body's not really ever going to have that rest. So what is the approach that you would kind of preach to someone like that? Is it to kind of pick a sport that will be your primary sport in terms of, of your strength goals? Like, let's say I would just pick lacrosse and, you know, I can kind of taper up and down based on in season, out of season, practice days, game days for my other sports. But the goal is still more or less working towards the lacrosse side of things. Or is there a different approach that you would kind of put out there? Yeah, I think you actually hit the nail on the head because we we only have so many choices. Right. I can't tell you, uh, you know, if you're going to play three sports in a season, that's great. But I also have to shoot you straight and say, look, if you're going to play three sports, like most of us did in high school, mm -hmm. you can't have a super dedicated kill yourself strength training regimen because, you know, or a wrestler, right? A wrestler really throws wrenches in there because even though we know you're going to get physical conditioning, you have to make weight. And that's a limiting. That's the, the main reason I stopped wrestling in high school was I got tired of, of having to keep my weight down. Um, so you know, that's a definitely a limiting factor. So when you look at someone, you say, okay, hey coach, like I want to train hard. You're like, okay, do you want to work out? Like, are you a 15 year old guy that just wants to put on some size so you feel good about yourself? That's great. Or do you want to train for a specific situation? Well, I want to play football in college. Okay. So then we know basketball season is going to be a little tough because you're going to play basketball but you're also going to train. You're also going to live three days a week and we're going to do extra stuff. So you have to either accept that or say, it's all good. You know, I'm going to kind of just do like light workouts every day throughout the year decisions. And, and if you want to make a man's decision or an adult's decision of, I want to get bigger, stronger and faster. And I want to compete at another level. Then you got to make hard adult decisions of when can I get this in? And is it that important to me? Right. So that's where we, we look at it. If you're going to be a three-sport athlete, then we're, we're kind of handcuffed on what we can really do. Aside from the fact that now being a three-sport athlete, I mean, these kids will play lacrosse year-round on top of the sports they're playing. Right, yeah. So when I coming to me going, Coach, I want to gain weight, I'm like, sorry, man. Like, you're going to have to eat your family into poverty because you are burning so many calories a day that you're just going to have to make a decision. Uh, and that's kind of where we're at, you know? Yeah. And I think from the exercise science side of things, we all agree that when you're younger playing all of these sports is a great thing because you're, you're building up all these proficiencies and, and over time you need to, you do need to specialize a little bit. And I think the issue that people have is saying we need to specialize maybe in middle school already, but I think yeah. realistically, if, if you play three sports, in middle school, great. But I think my biggest regret is I should have just stuck with two in high school so I could be much better at two things instead of just being like slightly above average in three things and never really gaining any weight until college when I was just finally down to two sports because my freshman year I tried to play football and lacrosse at a D3 school and that was still like try, try to do all that at once and you're still not gaining weight. So I, I think that's a super you know interesting point. But like you said, you, you can't have it all like – 
the body doesn't work like that. <laughs> you, yeah. you do have to make some decisions and whether it's going to be, you're going to lift heavy after basketball practice or maybe even before, because you're not going to yeah. do plyometric training the same way that you would for football than you do for basketball. So, yeah. Um, and you made it, you made a good point too, about the two sport after my sophomore year, when I started getting a little bit better at lacrosse, that's when I made the decision to give up basketball. Basketball was my first love all the way until I started, I started getting decent at lacrosse. And I said, you know, I'm going to spend the winter training. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I, you know, I started lifting seriously back then. But like you had said at the very beginning of our interview, it was a football mentality, right? Remember the bigger, faster, stronger program? Oh, yeah. They still have that around here. Yeah. So we had we had strength and conditioning class in my school. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I really got introduced to, to weight training. Uh, up until then, it was just calisthenics that I used to do in karate class. And, um, you know, we were doing everything wrong. Um, and I, I was taught how to squat incorrectly. That's when my back issues kicked up, but it was all about lift heavy, get big. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but I fell in love with it. I think the reason kids fall in love with it, whether they're conscious of it or not is in our lives, we don't have too much empowerment moments. You have your parents, you have maybe an older sibling, your coaches, your teachers, your principal, everyone's telling you what to do every second of every day. Weight training is the release in which you have total control of what you do with your own body. Mm -hmm. And if you can, if you can really grasp that at an at a age in which you're growing, the empowerment kind of goes through the window, like goes through the roof because you're so excited about that. That's what I think people love about strength training, especially guys who are starting to hit that groove. And, and to piggyback off of that too, you know, there's that famous saying that, you know, no matter what the day is, a 45 pound plate is still a 45 pound plate. So, you know, no matter what your day looks like, you know, you get underneath the bar and you just, it's the same every single time. Like the weight doesn't change on you. Nothing changes on you. It's just, it's just, no, it's consistent. Just weight, man. consistent. Just weight. So, you know, we talked about cycles and stuff like that. Now that you're out of, you know, your playing career, what's kind of your cycle look like? And I don't mean steroid cycle for anybody that is really into the, the verbiage of that. I'm not talking about those <laughs> yeah. cycles. Trust me, I'm actually glad that people are more into strength training now because that's the kind of crap I used to hear because mm -hmm. I was one of the weirdos that actually took lifting seriously. Now that other people lift, you know, it doesn't look so out of the normal. But yeah, so when it comes to uh, your mesocycles, um, for those of people who don't know, you, you have a macro cycle, which is the all-encompassing goal your mesocycles is the different seasons, if you will. And then the microcycle is how is, is how you rotate within each season. Um, so I write a four-part macrocycle every year on a conjugate system. I rotate the sets and reps and the days uh, every three months. Okay. So what I do, um, my training right now, the problem with being a strength coach, and, I, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, is even though I could take somebody and I could – I can make them better in a very short period of time because I can map everything out for them and try to motivate and teach. We get ADD all mm -hmm. the time with our own sketches, right? Yeah, changes you constantly. Go out and write a 12 week program, this is gonna crush. You do it one week and they're like, ah, you know what, man? Maybe I should add two handed swings, you know, for max reps in a minute at the end. And like, you just, it never shuts off. Mm -hmm. So being disciplined about sticking to your program is so vital. Um, I'm a big New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's resolutions guy. So I spend a lot of December every year mapping out my goals for the next year. 
One of my goals this year was a 225 pound sauce press. That's what okay. I'm going to get. Um, I used to be able to do it back in the day before all my surgeries. So I want to get back to that. So I'm adding a lot of uh, overhead accessory work uh, to my training. Um, the other part of it is uh, I spent a lot of year, a lot of time in 2020 with mobility because I couldn't go to the gym. I turned my garage into a gym and I focused a lot on thoracic spine mobility, okay. uh, which helped me a lot with my old school lumbar issues. And, um, you know, now I'm getting back into heavier cleans and doing that stuff. I, I love cleans. They'll always be a staple of my programming, uh, power shrugs, deadlifts, squats, and bench. Um, I've done a little bit more bench now than I used to. Okay. Uh, as a face-off guy, especially when, you know, we used to wrestle for 90 seconds on every face-off, the wrist and shoulder were something you did not want to mess with too much. So I didn't do a lot of shoulder, uh, bench press back then, but, you know, now that I'm old. I it's got to be fun, though, because that's that's the lift where I think you have the most fun competing against yourself. You because... know what? I I will say that that's deadlift for me. Okay. I that's love fair. I mean, you're a, you're a special kind of crazy if deadlifting is your favorite, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say like when, when you're younger, it's always about, you know, you look around the weight room and it was always, you know, in, in weight training class, or even we had a, we had a lift-a-thon and the lift-a-thon for football was penny per pl- per pound. And we only benched though. They just lined up 10 benches in the gym and you just benched. So yeah. there was, we weren't lift-a-thon for deadlift or squat. So I mean, not. Of course not. But uh, so so let's uh, transition just a little bit more here. I'm looking at my show notes. Okay, so I have, I have a couple fun questions for you because I don't think people you are one of the more outspoken guys on Twitter, which is great. And um, but I still think that some of this stuff just never kind of comes up unless you you ask a great question. Like, what was your, you know, the other one was what's the throwback show for, uh, what was it? TGIF, right? So yeah. you, you said hang with Mr. Cooper, didn't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I was a big, uh, I let's see here. Hang with Mr. Cooper was good. Family matters is a classic, obviously. So I have some questions kind of, kind of more along that line. So you're a big football guy yeah. and, and I learned a couple, I learned last week with Tom, don't ever ask anybody what the best of anything is because it's hard to get a straight answer. So what is an underrated football movie? An underrated football movie? Yeah, because you're oh, a man, big football We were just guy. talking about this the other day. Um, you know, I think I, I made the decision that when it comes to talking about greatest football movies ever, <laughs> that Remember the Titans is not allowed to be discussed because it's in a class all by itself. Yeah, and there's, um, there's too much going on with that, too, that keeps it from being strictly a football movie. Exactly. Um, so that, that doesn't count. But I think, I think The Replacements is like... Fair. It, it's like my favorite football movie. It okay. has everything for me. Okay. My, my big thing was teaching the younger guys, and I'm only 31, but when, when I was coaching the program... I, I showed them the program and they're like, what year was this made? I was like, you just wait, you just wait for the weightlifting scenes. <laughs> and, and they were like, this guy just smashed his head through a window. What is wrong? I was like, this is pretty much what steroids does to you. Yeah, <laughs> so, this is called a cautionary tale. Kids. <laughs> and then, and then a uh, follow-up on that, an overrated football movie. Um. You know, it's funny. I actually, I would say that the program was overrated. 
<laughs> um, I know I'm a bit up for that, but not necessarily because if you were in a time frame where it was actually kind of popular, that makes yeah, more sense. I thought necessary roughness was not talked about nearly enough. Okay. Um, I mean, any football movie that finds a way to put Sinbad and Kathy Ireland in there at the same time is, and it's a shame because I can't talk about that with any kid I coach. Like, what? Who's Sinbad? Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I just watched Jingle all the way, so Sinbad was relevant for a quick few <laughs> seconds. Um, I would have to say for overrated, I, I tweeted this the other day that I think Varsity Blues, as much as I hate to admit it, because that was my movie in high school. Like, there was brief nudity. It was in Texas. You know, you've got the guy from Fast and the Furious in there before he was famous. You got all the Dawson's Creek guys. And yeah. I was like, that's an incredible movie at the time. And then I got older and I rewatched and I was like, man, this is awful. Like, you it's know, it's funny, funny, but it's awful. When you asked me first, like, I could only think of like three or four football movies, but mm -hmm. you mentioning Varsity Blues made me <laughs> think of Friday Night Lights. Mm hmm which now that I think about it might actually be my favorite football movie. Uh, Cause I, the show was incredible. Anybody yeah. who missed yeah. out and I liked the show. I oh, my bad. dog's name is Riggins, by the way. There you go. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> so that, there's no that, doubt that, about that. We're fans. Yeah. yeah I mean, the other one that comes to mind is any given Sunday, just cause yeah, those, those scenes, it was still, I mean, criminally overrated just because the acting was so bad and the football was so bad but the idea and, and a couple of the the speeches in the locker room were pretty awesome all right i will say i listened to al pacino's inch uh game of inches before every high school and college uh lacrosse game that checks out 100 percent yeah <laughs> we, had a guy, we had a guy just like you he didn't take face offs but he's a middle linebacker in a, in a d midi and he would just listen to rob zombie before every before yeah. every game there was actually a really funny video i think rob pinnell posted it in 2015 where everybody is in our lizards locker room kind of like rolling out and joking and laughing and he scrolls over and i'm in full gear and i have uh one of the uh elevation masks on and i'm listening to that thing i'm just jumping back and forth and rob's like which one of these things is out of place? <laughs> and I was like, I definitely took this a little bit more seriously than other guys sometimes. <laughs> that's that's okay though. Um, yeah. Perfect transition. What kind of music are you blasting during your workouts? Man. Uh, or does it depend? Because it definitely depends for me. It could be death metal. It could be gangster rap. It could be EDM. It really depends if I'm doing cardio or not. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, EDM is a strictly smiling, funny brand of music for me. Okay. Um, I don't listen to anything like that when I work out. Uh, so, I mean, I listen to everything from, like, actually, Jax is a big rock and roll fan now because he's heard what I listen to. Um, so, like, during the warm-up, it's ACDC. Mm -hmm. Then once I start getting busy, it's either, like, say, Gangster Rap or I actually love Bumpy Knuckles um is one of my favorite rappers and then uh when it's like we're doing a max out type of day that's that's when we get into disturbed god smack okay yeah. okay maybe a little corn every once in a while corn yes okay yes. well it's fine and and so we we kind of built it up too so for our soundtrack for the game day 
what we would do is we would play explosions in the sky from Friday night lights. So there's no lyrics at all. And it's, that's what we would just stretch to. Then we go in the locker room real quick to throw on the rest of our gear. And we would just play like Barney or something like that for the other team. Cause it was all based on our schedule. And that's then we'd great. roll out and then just start playing the corn and, and all the, oh, I uh, love that. Yeah, it's it's a pretty intimidating. It's like the pink locker room at at Indiana or wherever that is. Yeah. Oh, in Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You yeah. gotta you gotta mess with the opponent a little bit. All right. Yeah. Um, favorite cheat meal. Um. So there's two. My two vices are because I don't like candy or anything, but okay. I ice cream and pizza. So I eat very strict from Monday morning until Friday afternoon, and then depending on if there's football on or whatever, right. uh, we'll have family pizza night, Friday night, and I'll give myself 24 hours to eat whatever I want. So I usually have pizza um, and then either like a chocolate chip cookie or something like that. But I, I try to stay away from ice cream because no matter what size the container is, it's, I'll eat the finished. whole thing when it's in front of me. So I, I stay away from I ice cream. I get that. I mean, when I'm trying to avoid stuff, I just don't keep it in the house because I know that the self-control is this big when it's in the house. If it's down the street, I have a chance. Yeah. So well, your cheat meal is like a cheat weekend, huh? She's never seen me eat that stuff. And I say, I love it so much. I don't eat it. People are like, how do you stay so disciplined with your diet? I'm like, it's actually the opposite. I have zero discipline. So I just choose not to have it anywhere near me. So your cheat meal is basically a cheat weekend yeah, <laughs> or at least a cheat 24 hours. That yep. I mean, it's hard to stop after one meal anyway. Cause then you get that mindset of it's like, I already, you know, the day's already yeah. gone. I might as well roll it into a KFC or something like that. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, guilty pleasure song. You know, what, what, what's that song that people do definitely do not see you singing. Easy. One of my top five songs of all time. Halo by Beyonce. That's fantastic. Mwah. Absolutely. There is not a wedding that I go to that does not play Toto by Africa. (laughs) I will be in the bathroom and I will sprint out for that song. Um, I like the Nas version of that. I'll have to check that out. I have not heard that. I think it was on the Nostradamus album. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Favorite venue you've ever played at? Because you've played all around the world. Oh, man, that's tough. You know what? It, it might be biased, uh, but the the two that jump out at me, one is my last PLL game okay. uh, where we played, even though the turf was the worst for facing off, um, just the atmosphere at Union Stadium in Philly, uh, well, in Chester, uh, and then Kennesaw State in Atlanta. That's great. All right. We, it was packed for the, for the ML championship game, and... It was like an evening. It was perfect weather. It was absolutely amazing. So yeah, those are probably my two favorite venues that I've played in. Okay. And then I know you kind of threw shade at supplements earlier, but uh, what supplement stack do you have right now? Are you completely just kind of like the whole foods guy? Not, not, no, I, I like supplements. I just don't, I think they should be a supplement. I don't think they should be a replacement for food. Um, you said it perfectly that people worry about supplements before they need to like, yeah, you should be, that should be like the last little thing that you add to the equation. Not yeah. Like, if you oh. had two pop tarts and it's 11 o'clock and you're coming in to work out, miss me with the questions about what, <laughs> what kind of creative you know, Exactly. Uh, just going to yeah, so C4. Yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, I used to stay away from pre-workout, but now I'm pushing 37 and, and the homie needs it. So, um, 
Rev Up Nutrition makes the best pre-workout I've ever had. It's called Nitrous. It's delicious and it's amazing. Um, and then they have a post-workout supplement called Tune-Up that tastes great. And I use that as well. Um, I do three whey shakes a day. Um, okay. Water so or milk? Water. Okay. Yeah. So I do, it's 13 ounces of water, two scoops of uh, Advocare's Lean 25. So it's about a 50 gram protein shot. Um, and I do that three days, three times a day. Uh, I have a meal replacement shake, which is the very first thing I eat in the morning uh, from Advocare. It's really good. And then I take five grams of creatine a day and three grams of glutamine a day. Um, and then what I added to my supplementation was a herbal called ashwagandha root. Okay. And anybody's never heard of this, do research on it. Um, I drink the tea in the evening and I take one tab in the morning and the evening and ashwagandha, I, I have to say it's not a placebo effect because I'm very pessimistic when I, when it comes to trying stuff, Fair. a definitive drop in anxiety. Like, okay. I feel way less heavy, way more mellow since I started taking it, which was last November. So now it's kind of a staple of my nutrition as well. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I keep it pretty simple, right? So like, I love to read Jim Stepani's stuff about dietary supplements. Um, he, he likes to keep the ingredients pretty natural. Yeah. Um, and, and I was always, I, I've not ever taken a real pre-workout because I see the words proprietary blend. And I'm like, that could be literally anything. Yeah, with the cross next to it, Exactly, right? exactly. So <laughs> I, I do, you know, I do the, the caffeine. I do the beta alanine, I do the creatine pre and intra-workout, and then I do the whey protein. I, I try to keep it very simple. Like you said, it's nice. a supplement. It's not supposed to be replacing or, you know, you can't do anything. It's like having a car and you try to put premium gas in it, but like it doesn't have tires. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, you're right. All yeah. right. So and then. Um, I've always been. Off. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I. I I was just saying that the reason I drink three shakes a day is that I'm an ectomorph. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I said, I had to eat 10,000 calories a day for four years to gain weight. So, um, you know, for me now at this age, I, I don't want to eat as many calories. So I want to make sure that the calories I take in are very clean um, so that I can continue to have muscle. But if I don't work out or I eat like crap, I'll, I'll lose 20 pounds and I'll look like a dad bod in no time. Uh, so that's why I stay on it so much. I completely understand. And then I wanted to leave you with a more serious question. So it's, it's clear that when you, whenever you made the decision to go from the MLO to the PLL, that you knew that no matter how many years, three to 10, that you were going to keep playing, it was going to be towards the end of your career. Right. Mm -hmm. So why then was it so important for you to make that switch? Yeah. So I think the misconception for a lot of people was either A, I came out of retirement or B, that I made a conscious decision to leave the MLL to go to the PLL. Uh, the reality of it was, is the PLL was not a thing on my mind at all. It was having a discussion with my wife uh, before 2017 and telling her that after a couple of scrimmage weekends with Team USA, I had decided that I wanted to take another shot at it. Um, in 2018, which I had never brought up before. And that's when she was pregnant. And she was like, look, 
I've been a good soldier and, and this is when I was playing every weekend and then also traveling in the off season for FOA. Um, she was like, I'm going to need you to choose one of those two things. I, I just don't want you to play lacrosse year round with both USA and the pros. And so I chose, you know, I'd, I'd already done everything in the NL that I could do. I had nothing else to prove, but I didn't have a gold medal and I still felt like I needed to earn that. So I made the decision while we're in Israel in 2018, I remember Paul being on some phone calls and some guys, you know, making discussions and stuff about a new league, blah, blah, blah. So when the PLL was announced, I immediately contacted them about wanting to help out with face-off rules. I thought we could make the best new face-off rules that the rest of the sport can follow. Um, and after months of that conversation, Tom Schreiber randomly popped the question as to whether I want to play or not. Um, so I didn't consciously leave the MLL or anything. And even when I decided to play PLL, uh, my wife okayed it because we knew it would be one year and I just wanted to be part of it because I knew this was the future of the sport. Um, and because we came up with these new face-off rules, I wanted to see how they played out. I wanted to be part of that as well. So that's, uh, that's why I did that. I thought that PLL was the future. I wanted to be part of it. And I saw, I, I just assumed down the line, once PLL became a thing that they were going to merge at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I mean, it, it made sense right away that at some point, like this can't last forever. Right. Yeah. This this splitting of resources and and players and as great as it as fun as it was for during a COVID year to have two seasons to watch in in like four <laughs> weeks, I yeah. knew that eventually. I just I I think a lot of like a lot of people, we didn't think it was going to happen quite this this fast. And I think now with MPC Sports uh, bailing as as a network, um, it just makes that deal look more genius because you know you have that history with the, with ESPN and that's kind of like again people are playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. So uh, I think that worked out really, really well in everyone's favor. And I, and I'm forced to ask you a follow-up question because you mentioned the rules and you're very vocal about this. How important is it to you to, to have a trickle down effect with the rules to, to each level and kind of solve this? We're doing three different things at three different levels. Um, it, it is an issue in the sport and it makes it difficult. You know, it'd be much easier for you and the Academy to just be like, this is what we're doing all the way through. But it seems like every three years they have to learn a new way to face off. So, uh, kind of, kind of give me a comment on, on how you feel about that whole situation. Yeah. I would love for there to be uniformity. I'm not one of those people who are saying we have to have the same rules at every single level because mm -hmm. that's not true in most sports. There's no shot clock in high school basketball. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, I, I, my problem is I am always a fan of meaningful discussion when people are being honest. And I feel like we're not having an honest conversation because you can't possibly tell me that for the better betterment of the sport, you believe we need to get rid of one of its most unique aspects. And you can't tell me that you have the, you want for the betterment of the sport to change a position in which Eight people who are on a committee have never even done. So I'm not going to go in and start telling people what we should do about goalies. I've never played goal. Mm -hmm. But if I tell you what, if I wanted to make a decision on the goalies, I bring in a goalie. Yeah. Um, now, I have been very understanding, almost too understanding for years, because I understand that for most of the majority of time that lacrosse has been around, people have created deception and they taught cheating on face-off. So it, it almost became a joke of our position and nobody trusts us. 
I think though, at this point in time, after being a professional face-off coach for nearly a decade, people can understand that I do have the best interest of the sport in my mind. I'm not, I'm an honest actor. So does the face-off need to be tweaked? Yeah, I think it did need to be tweaked. Uh, did we create a blueprint with the PLL? Yeah, it was right there. So, you know, I think that that every level should have the same rules. Like even now, kids are technically allowed to face off on a knee for one more year under federation rules. I'm not teaching knee down because I want to prepare you for the future. I don't want to teach it next year. It's too late. Um, the international rules are prison rules. That's the worst style of face off you can ever imagine. Um, they won't change it. Uh, so yeah, I think it's very frustrating. It's frustrating as a face off guy. It's frustrating as a coach and an advocate for our position. And it's infuriating now as a father to imagine if my kid had to go through that. So yeah, I, I think now, I think we have a couple more people on the committee that are more understanding. They're more malleable. Uh, they do have a good interest in the sport. I don't think the face-off is ever going to go anywhere. Um, and people conveniently forget that in the seventies, they did take it out of college across. Uh, and it was such a mess that halfway through the season to put it back in. Uh, we like to conveniently forget that. Um, so yeah, I do. I would like to see uniformity, but just you know, I always say, just let me sit in the room and give you guys some advice. I know you hate the fact that face-off coaching is a thing, but just let me let me help you. Yeah, and speaking as someone whose state wants to get rid of the face-offs because of COVID. Like that's one of the things I'll let yeah. you know how that goes, because I already have plans on, you know, once you have a two goal lead, you can basically just sit on the ball because we don't have a shot clock either. So, you know, what's the point at that point? Yeah. Like once you're down, like you can't go on runs, you can't make play, make it, take it. Not that we have a face off guy that could anyway, but that's not the point. Like yeah. you take that part out of the game. And like you said, it's not going to go anywhere, but it would be nice to have an honest, open opinion about it and, and have some transparency. So, yes, um, Greg, I really appreciate your time. I, it was great to, to learn a lot more. Uh, and I think people will take a lot away from this and probably seek out more information, not only on face-offs, but on strength and conditioning. So I really appreciate your time and thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you. If anybody wants to follow up, uh, all my social media is GregBeast32, and my YouTube channel is uh, youtube.com slash This was uh, an awesome conversation. I had a lot of fun on this.